The Old Testament reading is taken from Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6 to verse 12. This can be found on page 802 in the Bibles in the chairs. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Here ends the Old Testament reading. Father, help us now to understand your word and then to put it into practice by your spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the successful American businessman from a poor background, so I'm not talking about Donald J. Trump, but William Colgate, founder of Colgate Toothpaste, Colgate Palmolive, etc., was asked, what's the key to your success? He said, I made a contract with the Lord claiming the promise, who honors me, I will honor. I began tithing, giving 10% of my income away, despite having very little indeed. And I kept my contract with God, who began blessing me from then on. And the Christian founders of such companies as Quaker Oats, Holiday Inn, and Kraft Foods all said, the same thing. They claim they tested God's promise and found it true. The promise from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, which should be on the screen, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven 
and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Do you believe those words? Well, as we begin our giving review, which is also a spiritual health check, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. So do turn to that passage if you've not got it open already. That's on page 802, 802. And our title this morning is Putting God to the Test. But first, what do we learn from verses 6 and 7 of Malachi 3 about God and ourselves? Well, there are two things here about God. And one is that he doesn't change. His nature, his goals, his plans, and his ways of acting don't change. Either for the better, and that's because they're perfect, and he can't become better than he is, or for the worse. God says, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. And that's why we can learn today from Malachi. God's principles in the Old Testament are unchanging. Yes, you've got to apply them in the light of Jesus Christ and the New Testament, but God himself does not change. And two, he is gracious. Look at verse 6. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not consumed or destroyed. You see, the people in one sense deserved to be destroyed for what they'd done. But God is merciful. He forgave them. And he offered them blessings. And as we'll see, these weren't just spiritual blessings, but also material blessings. Do you believe all that? As you perhaps begin giving for the first time, or as you review your giving, remember, God is unchanging. He is faithful and gracious. And we give in response to what he's done for us. But what about us? What do we learn about ourselves? From verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And that's what the Bible means by sin. The truth is we've all turned away from God's laws. I wonder who here this morning struggles with greed or with coveting. I do. And so did the Apostle Paul as he admits in Romans chapter 7. He says at first he didn't realize he was covetous and greedy. Only when he'd done the equivalent of a giving review did he realize he'd failed and that he was getting worse. He probably thought, why should I support God's work? Why should I give to others in need? After all, I could expand my tent-making business instead. How many of us are like Paul? Well, the people in Malachi's day certainly were. They'd returned from exile. They thought God was going to make everything wonderful once again when they got home. 
But they found Jerusalem still in ruins. Things were not as good as they expected. So they became negative, And they doubted God's love. And what about us? Are things going wrong for you? Are things not turning out as you might have expected? Well, be warned and encouraged by Malachi. You see, the great message of Malachi is that God is love, even when it doesn't seem so. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But the people didn't believe that. How have you loved us, they said. And doubting God's love, the people blocked the enjoyment of his love by their disobedience. They brought junk animals for the sacrifices. And they called their worship a burden. That's verse 13 of chapter 1. The priests had caused many to stumble by their false teaching. That's verse 8 of chapter 2. There was marriage breakdown, verse 16 of chapter 2. There was cheating and injustice, verse 5 of chapter 3. And in our passage, people were failing to give for God's work. So how did God respond? Well, it's my second heading. By calling them to repent or to turn back to him. In verses 7 to 10. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And how do you repent? How do you return? Well, that's the question they had in verse 7. How shall we return? And God's answer was to talk about money. Have a look at verses 8 to 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Some people then, as now, probably responded, how unspiritual is that? This is like bribery. This is like a prosperity gospel. It's suggesting that if we give, God will bless. And I'm not having anything to do with that. And so they further justified their greed and their refusal to give. But you see, all that is to misunderstand what God wants. And people still misunderstand what God is wanting. So let me explain. A, giving to God or anyone else can never make you right with God or give you eternal peace with God. It can never deal with that backlog of sin and your future sins. Only faith in Christ, who alone paid the penalty for sin when he died on the cross, will do that. If you've not yet trusted him, 
and given yourself to him, never think you can buy your salvation. Instead, simply trust Christ. But B, God's saying that for his work in the world, he wants our cooperation. He could have worked in other ways. He's all-powerful. But he chose to work through our cooperation. So he wants you to pray. He wants you to witness. He wants you to give time and money. He works through our giving. See, God's saying that faith must be practical if it's real. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's not faith which is only words that counts. Of course, it's not love or doing good things that saves us. They're simply evidence of genuine faith in Christ. God is totally trustworthy. So from day one, when you trust Christ, you can be sure of the outcome. But the evidence that you trust him is by doing what he says. So if we're serious with God, verse 9, we won't rob him. D, this teaching here in Malachi on tithing doesn't mean legalism or a set of rules. Jesus had to say this to his opponents in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The Pharisees were concentrating on giving a tenth of everything, but ignoring justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Their tithing was legalistic. But Jesus didn't say, don't tithe. He said, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, giving a tenth. By itself, tithing won't get you anywhere. But in the context of the gospel, God's plan is to bless you and to bless others. E, the importance of tithing is that it's percentage giving. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, which says, On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Giving in keeping with your income is percentage giving. It's not giving without thought or giving a sum out of the blue. No, it's definite and regular. It's why we have a giving scheme. But you ask, what percentage should I give? Isn't 10% just from the Old Testament? We're now in the age of the Spirit. Can't we do as we like? Well, apart from Jesus mentioning 10%, the only percentages in the New Testament are actually higher. The poor widow gave 100%. Zacchaeus gave 50%. But many Christians have found 10% to be a helpful guideline, at least to begin with. 
Some work up to it over time. A number give more. However, if you're going to repent or rethink or return to God, don't pretend that it won't affect your finances. Giving is a powerful indicator of our relationship with God. John Wesley said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Martin Luther said, everyone needs two conversions, the first of his heart and the second of his wallet. And God said through Malachi here in this passage today, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So thirdly and finally, the results of all this. Look at verses 10 to 12. And first, there's the practical result that God's work can go forward when his people give. I want it to be great to see more churches like St. Joseph's across the Northeast. Look at verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's Psalm 50 and verse 10. In other words, everything. But God's chosen his dependence on his people to receive back what's rightfully his. That's why not giving is called robbing God which is very serious. God owns everything in the world, but he'll have nothing unless his people give it back to him. That's the challenge. This church can only function as God's people give back to him. The second result of giving is that the giver is blessed. Look again at verses 10 to 12. Put me to the test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So the writer of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, wrote, there was a man. Some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. You see, you can't outgive God. Now, there's not always an immediate return. There are people who give and they find life hard. But many do experience God's material blessings because they're generous with what God gives them. God seems to allow them to have more. Why? Well, not to be greedy, but because they can then give greater support to God's work. And where there are no material blessings, there are certainly spiritual blessings. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, verses 20 to 21, as we've been looking at in our midweek groups. And in Philippians, Paul was chiefly concerned with how their giving would affect them spiritually. He sees their giving as an investment 
that will pay them rich spiritual dividends in the future. It's a deposit in the bank of heaven that will multiply at compound interest to their advantage. You see, the Lord keeps the books and will never fail to pay one spiritual dividend, unlike the fluctuating stock market. And also, giving helps us to uh, be free from greed. Greed which is so dangerous, says Jesus. Well, I've got to conclude, and I do so with this. In Malachi, God's teaching the spiritual principle of the harvest. And some of you know it. You've seen it happen. St. Joseph's is one fruit of it. And it's what Paul teaches in the reading we had from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully, in other words, with great blessings, will also reap bountifully with great blessings by the grace of God. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your generosity to us, especially in giving the Lord Jesus Christ up to death for us. Help us to generously give back to you so that you may extend your kingdom, build your church across this land and throughout the world so that others may be blessed. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.